the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What part or what role does the law of God have in our lives, especially if we believe that we are living under grace? We've got the answer for you next on this edition of Abounding Grace. Join us. Welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner. Our time together today returns us to Luke in chapter 6 and looking at the first five verses. Pastor Gary has entitled today's message, The Law of God Enhances and Beautifies the Christian Life. Ah, you say, but we're under grace. The law doesn't have an effect on us anymore, right? Yes and no. We'll understand the distinction there and why the law of God is important in our lives today. Please join us for a very insightful look at the law, liberty, and grace and how it beautifies us as Christians. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The law of God enhances and beautifies the Christian life. It does not restrict, it does not squelch the Christian life. Hopefully you can tell from the verses that I read earlier and the previous chapters that we studied over the last several weeks that Jesus did not get along with everyone. In fact, he had critics who were always trying to trip him up and discredit him, to silence him and ruin his ministry in one way or another. And in response... Jesus tried to discredit and silence them and ruin their ministries and cause their disciples to turn from them and to follow him. And those people with whom he never got along were the officers and the leaders of the church of his day. They were the supposed experts on the law of God, the experts in theology and religion who everyone would go to to find answers to various religious and ethical questions that they might have. And in order to understand the life of Jesus and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you must understand that one of the major details of Christ's life was this ongoing, constant conflict he had with the Pharisees. These Pharisees were men who rejected a biblical understanding of God and morality and had created over the previous centuries a religion based upon human merit, human achievement, human decisions, and human accomplishments. The Pharisees talked about God and law, But when they talked about God, it was a completely different God than the God about which Jesus preached. And when they talked about law and morality, they at times touched on some of the things that Jesus emphasized because they did believe that the Bible was the Word of God. 
But they were consumed not with the word of God, but with the writings and traditions of men. They misinterpreted and abused the scripture through their traditions, which Jesus spoke strongly against on one specific occasion when he said, By your traditions you set aside the word of God and invalidate it. So understand that Jesus did not get along with everyone. Here in the book of Luke, we see, uh, we see another one of the occasions of this conflict. Jesus and his disciples are going from one place of ministry to another, and they're working quite hard at their task. They're doing a lot of preaching, a, a lot of teaching, and a lot of personal counseling. They even often spent the whole night in, in prayer. Remember, they, of course, had no rapid transit as we do today or personal vehicles to get them from location to location. So they had to walk everywhere they went. Their lives were laborious at times and many times even tedious. They kept very busy and on many occasions they even had to go without meals. On this occasion, they were in a hurry to get from one place to another, and obviously they had not eaten for some time. They were walking through someone's grain field, and they went over and each picked a handful of grain. Nothing of value. They took the grain and they rubbed it in their hands to break it up, and then they ate it, giving them some nutrition as they continued to walk along. And the Pharisees were shocked. They thought that was a direct assault on God and His Word and everything that was good and was right and was pure according to the Pharisees. So they jumped all over Jesus and His disciples like a pack of wolves on a newborn lamb. With self-righteous attitudes, they basically asked Him, What in the blue blazes do you think you're doing? You are doing something that is not lawful on the Sabbath. Do you know it's contrary to the will of God for your disciples to take a simple handful of grain, to break it up in their hands and eat? That is a terrible, wicked thing for anyone to do. And they were not being facetious, beloved. They were absolutely serious. Now understand, in asking this question, they weren't really looking for an answer. They were coming to Jesus and his disciples looking for some reason to ridicule them and discredit them. And hoping to find them guilty of some crime. So they could put them in prison and punish them and silence them and possibly even to execute them. For remember, Sabbath breaking was a capital crime punishable by death. They thought they really had Jesus on this one. Well, the Bible at the time, which was basically the Torah, did allow for people to pluck grain out of someone's field. It wasn't considered stealing, according to the Word of God, to take a handful of grain out of another man's field to eat while they were walking by. Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy 23, Verse 25. To be able to understand this whole incident, there are actually a number of little laws in the Old Testament that you need to be familiar with, such as in Deuteronomy 23, 25. 
that says, When thou comest into the standing of thy neighbor, then thou mayest pluck the ears with thine hand, but thou shalt not remove a sickle unto thy neighbor's standing corn. In other words, it was okay to go ahead and pick a few ears of corn for yourself to satisfy your hunger, but you could not take enough to sell to someone else. Don't take advantage of the farmer's charity. Don't take a sickle to the stalks and harvest enough for you to gain off of someone else's kindness or even for your use at a later occasion. So here you have a clear law in the Old Testament where people were allowed to pick enough grain to satisfy their hunger and it was not considered stealing. But I think you can see that wasn't the problem as far as the Pharisees were concerned. The problem that the Pharisees saw was that they were doing this on the Sabbath. They were breaking one of the thousands of man-made laws defining what could and could not be done on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. And the Pharisees were trying to present a case that Christ's disciples had not only broken rabbinical tradition, but they had actually broken the law of God itself. Turn to Exodus 34, 21. Here's another one of those little Old Testament laws that the Pharisees were trying to use to show that the disciples were breaking the very law of God. Exodus 34, verse 21. Six days thou shalt work, but on the Sabbath day thou shalt rest in earing or plowing time, and in harvest thou shalt rest. That was their verse. Even during plowing and harvest time, you were to rest. You could not reap your grain field on Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. Now here was their argument. Reaping, harvesting your grain field on the Sabbath is explicitly forbidden by Exodus 34.21. So as far as the Pharisees were concerned, reaping a grain field was actually the same as plucking grain off a few heads of wheat. Since the disciples plucked plucked grain from a few plants, then as far as the Pharisees were concerned, they violated the law that says you cannot reap your fields on the Sabbath. That was their case against the disciples. Now I ask you, does that sound like it was a very ironclad case to you? Well, if it does, then it shows the influence that Phariseeism has on your thinking. But trust me, it was very ironclad as far as the Pharisees were concerned. The Bible says, don't reap your fields on the Sabbath. The disciples did what was equivalent, as far as the Pharisees were concerned, to reaping by plucking a few handfuls of grain. Therefore, they violated one of the Sabbath commands. Hence, the Pharisees felt they had a basis for the public execution, or at least imprisonment, of Jesus Christ. Well, how is he going to answer this? Once again... He answers them with a counter-question, and this question is devastating in its refutation of these Pharisees. They knew it, and they hated him for it. Now, I want you to notice one thing Jesus did not do. 
He did not enter into debate with these men. This isn't even worth a debate as far as Christ is concerned. What Jesus does to devastatingly refute the Pharisees is simply quote the word of God or make an allusion to the word of God over against their opinions and their traditions. And he refers to Samuel 21 where we will see in time how all of this will come together. Notice first what Jesus does in Luke 6. The Pharisees bring their charge against him in the first two verses. Then all Jesus does in verse 3 is answer them saying, Have ye not heard in the Bible so much as this, what David did when he himself was hungry, and they which were with him, how he went into the house of God, and did take and eat the showbread, and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone. Now let's see what he's making reference to here. Turn to First Samuel, if you will, chapter 21, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. First Samuel 21, verses 1 through 7. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? And David said unto Ahimelech, the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what have I commanded thee? I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained from the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edmonite, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Now we're going to see as time goes on what this passage actually means. But what I want you to see now is this. Jesus was quoting this, pans- this uh, uh, passage in answer to the Pharisees. And he was totally disregarding and condemning all their traditions and all of their human interpretations. And that would make it lawful for his disciples to pluck a few grains of wheat, crush it in their hands and eat them. He was totally disregarding their traditions and condemning them, not as some irrelevant nobody, but as the one who was God of the Old Testament in human flesh, who wrote these laws. And therefore, only he has the authority to determine how the Sabbath is to be deserved to be observed. So he refutes their opinions and their interpretations simply by quoting the very word he has given. Now how does Jesus answer from 1 Samuel 21 
refute the Pharisees' position on the Sabbath. Well, it's difficult to see right on the surface because the, the Sabbath is not really even actually mentioned here in Samuel 21. But in quoting it, Jesus is saying that the Word of God doesn't need... Now listen, the Word of God does not need the clarification or supplementation of men. It doesn't need your traditions, Mr. Pharisee. God's Word stands on its own. The only infallible interpretation of the Bible is the Bible. Do not ever forget that, beloved. The Bible interprets itself, and men may not may not interpret one passage in the Bible in such a way that it contradicts another passage in the Bible. So Jesus is saying, in effect, the reason I quoted 1 Samuel 21, that you may not be able to get the point off right off the bat, Mr. Pharisee, is because I, as Jehovah in human flesh, in saying that this is a commentary on the relationship of law and liberty that is fully applicable to your situation. And if you had thought of this passage, and you had studied it, you would have understand that what God commands of a man, and what a man is at liberty to do, and how that command relates to all of life, are properly related in these passages. But instead, you, Mr. Pharisee, are only concerned with your traditions, and you're focused in on one obscure passage that you haven't even tried to understand in light of the entire text. And here is what the passage tells us. David and his companions are hungry. They come to the temple and they ask the priest for something to eat. Now, again, keep in mind, there's no explicit mention here of the Sabbath. And the priests say, well, we, we don't have any ordinary bread, but we have some holy bread. We have some consecrated bread. Well, the problem is, is that no one but the priest are allowed to eat this bread. But since you and your troops are hungry, and you take some of this, you go ahead and you take some of this holy bread, which, by the way, weighed about six pounds a loaf. And you can satisfy yourself with that, because soon new hot bread will be put out in its place. Now, what was this holy bread? Now, the tabernacle had two rooms in it. The last room was called the Holiest of Holy, and it's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. But there was also a four-room, and there were several pieces of furniture, all of them with highly symbolic meanings. And one of those pieces of furniture was a table of showbread, a golden table where large loaves that were regularly baked set on, symbolizing the faithfulness of God to provide for their, the daily needs of the people, and most particularly, the faithfulness of God to eventually provide He who is the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So they gave this bread to David and his soldiers, and they ate it. Now, keep this all in mind, beloved. We're going to see how this all fits together. So what is the parallel here? 
What does this have to do with the criticism from the Pharisees that Jesus had his disciples, that Jesus and his disciples were breaking the Sabbath by plucking and eating this grain? Well, Jesus knows that rabbinical tradition taught that though there is no reference to the fact that this is the Sabbath, Jesus was familiar with what the rabbis were teaching, and he knew he would get no argument from them on this subject, because the old rabbis believed on the strength of one phrase that the incident in 1 Samuel 21 took place on the Sabbath. And that phrase is found in verse 5. And it says, And David answered the priest and said to him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. Yea, though it were sanctified this day. This day, according to the rabbis, had reference to a holy day or a Sabbath. Now, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but Jesus knew that it's what they taught. So the illusion that he was making was, in his own incident, you have him, the master, and you have his disciples. While in David's incident, you have David and his company of soldiers with him, all of whom were godly men who did something that was supposedly forbidden. That's the point of this parallel. Jesus quoted this passage of Scripture because he saw the similarity between what David and his men did in eating the showbread, which was only for the priest, and what he and his disciples did by eating the grain plucked from the fields on the Sabbath. And in both incidences, you have godly men. David, who was not perfectly godly, and Jesus, who of course was God himself doing things that they had supposedly been prohibited, not simply by the word of man, but by God. And that, of course, adds to the difficulty here. Now, keep this all together. Turn to Leviticus 24. This is another one of those tiny little seemingly obscure laws. Now, keep in mind that by using these quotes of obscure laws that Jesus is actually telling us to take the jots and the tittles of the law of God seriously. Leviticus 24, and I'll read verses 5 through 9. Listen carefully. And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof, two tenths deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the poor, pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath he shall set it in order before the Lord, continually being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's, his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statute. Now here's the problem. David and his men were eating holy bread, which bread was prohibited from anyone eating except the lineage of Aaron the priest. 
David and his associates were not priests. They were not of the tribe of Levi, and yet they ate the bread that the biblical ceremony system allowed for only the priest to eat. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.